Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Ah, it's good to be back. Hour two of the show. If you are on hold, and we got some regular callers on hold, I promise we will get to you. I want to get to you, in fact, since we were talking about LSU, Joe Burrow. We got to talk a little Pelicans now, and Scott Kushner is on the line, Pelicans beat writer for the Times Picayune and the Advocates. Is summer league complete? Pelicans make the semifinals there. And they had the introductions yesterday yesterday for the quartet of new players sitting alongside David Griffin. I thought it was a pretty good press conference, pretty good introduction like they all have been. Scott, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. I'm doing well. It's been a busy uh, offseason, the busiest <laughs> I can remember. Yeah, a little little different summer for you, I would bet. A little, little more uh, hands-on for you? Oh, my God. It's been crazy. I mean, basically since January, this whole place has been uh, – tumultuous and and rocky and crazy and uplifting and it's been a very strange road uh in 2019 so i think we're finally about to see it calm down yeah uh, here in this week yeah it's i think it's going to continue to be strange into the season at least that's my prediction scott uh the summer league was a little strange because zion played what about 11 minutes something like that or eight minutes and then uh, he was out and, and i want to start there because we're going to talk about this i think next segment but you have the, the cascade of comments from everybody across the country now that are hating on Zion's weight when they never hated on Zion's weight in college. They just admired and I guess were mesmerized by the side strength, uh, strength and you know athleticism combination that he possessed at Duke. And now all of a sudden, I guess that's a massive problem, Scott. I I, I don't get it at all. Well, he was definitely bigger uh, for the nine minutes he played in summer league or whatever than he was at Duke. Uh, I think he was noticeably more out of shape. And uh, I think, you know, it's when it's noticeable like that, and frankly, when there's not a lot else to talk about because he only played for nine minutes, it's going to be a topic. Um, it's pretty clear he wasn't ready for summer league. I think it, it's, a, it's a real – concern is the wrong way to put it, but it's a real issue as far as, like uh, – should he have been out there considering that he was obviously not in game condition. And it's understandable why he wasn't in game condition. He really hadn't had to do anything from a basketball perspective since March. Uh, He didn't really have to work out for anybody. Uh, He didn't really have to worry about the draft. He didn't have to worry about the combine. So, and he's not going to go like get in crazy shape to go perform at summer league. So it's like, a kind of an obvious thing to have happen, but it is also a true thing that happened. He was out of shape, overweight, whatever you want to call it, uh, for this. But it doesn't mean he's going to be out of shape entering the season. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee you he will not be in the same conditioning that he was in June, or sorry, that he was in July. He will not be that way in October. It just is not the case no this pelican staff won't that let that happen other players are really impressive i think probably most impressive was uh, nikhil alexander walker i think people across the country were really impressed by his ability surprisingly to play the one i don't think he's going to do that much at all this season but he seems to be a little more versatile uh, than he was and, and maybe a little more um a little more of a dynamic score also than than we thought he was um coming out of uh, virginia tech yeah i absolutely i i think 
there was a, a thought that if he would have been considered someone who could, you know, bring the ball up and be on the ball as a pure one, uh, he probably wouldn't have still been around when they picked uh, at 17. Uh, I, there definitely was more of an off-guard feel to him from a scouting perspective from, you know, the handful of Pelicans people I talked to. I didn't know anything about him entering the draft, but just as they came across him, I think they were pleasantly surprised by what he was able to do in summer league. Now, summer league can make fools of a lot of people. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a league that's to put it in perspective for summer league. It's a league that is well below like the, the highest levels in Europe. And for example, Luka Doncic at 19 years old or 18 years old won the MVP in Europe. So like, that's the level of like rookie that you're talking about. Like that it's a step below that. So the idea that like you're going to glean a whole bunch from a guy being first team all summer league, it's really hard to tell, but I think some of those skills obviously translate. And what you've also noticed from both him and Hayes is that they clearly have NBA ability and they have, uh, you know, the skill set that fits into the way the league plays the game, which there are times you see guys show up to summer league and it's very obvious they are not going to fit in. Greg Oden is like the ultimate example of that, right? Of like he stepped in and it was pretty clear, like, oh, this is going to be a real difficult transition for him. Uh, that's not the case with either of those guys. Jackson Hayes has a lot of work to do, but Alexander Walker, I think, proved there is a, a, a wider array of skill set and maybe more refined than they were expecting uh, as he steps into the league. Now he's going to be part of this depth on this Pelicans roster this coming season. Depth, it, it might be the deepest team, and I realize the top-level talent's not equal to you know teams like the ones out in L.A., but deep, I don't know if there's a deeper team in the NBA than them. Uh, the, we already saw the surprising uh, release of Christian Wood. I think maybe more to come, Scott. If we assume that, that Cheatham is not there, they, they uh, drafted and stashed Silva, who signed internationally. I think, I guess we're guessing Blewett's not going to be there. That is still leaves 16. So who's the other odd guy out? Uh, is he going to carry 15, if I'm right, Scott, and into the regular season? Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. I, I believe, you know, they'll end up putting somebody on a two-way. Somebody will be um, on a designation. They'll probably still – and they'll enter – you know, you can enter camp with, I believe it's 20, uh, and then make cuts from there. So they'll enter camp with, you know, 18, wherever they'll sign a couple guys um, to be camp bodies and grab some minutes in the preseason. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they've got a real competition that's going to have to take place uh, for some of those spots at the very end. But, you know, those type of things tend to work themselves out over time. And you've got so many guys that aren't guaranteed deals that it's like it just sort of eventually <laughs> works out. And by the time the first game starts, it's such an afterthought. Like, I feel like, uh, don't you feel that way with the Saints sometimes, too, where it's like yeah. we spend all this energy worrying about who's going to make the 52nd, 53rd spot. On the <laughs> and then the minute the first game kicks off, like, nobody talks about this guy ever again. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Uh, we're talking to Scott Kushner, who covers the Pelicans for the Times-Picayune and the Advocate. Does this depth mean that somebody like Etwan Moore, and I guess we've talked about this a lot, and not just us, I'm talking about us as in the people in New Orleans, Pelicans fan, uh, could he be a guy that, that is still traded? I think he's uh, definitely a candidate to be traded. He's on you know, the block or whoever you want to say it. Um, you know, his salary is large enough that it could actually bring back a pretty decent player who maybe fits more into a role that they don't have. Uh, but there's just levels to 
him that I'm not sure necessarily teams are super attracted to. He doesn't. He's not big enough to be a three. He's not really fast enough to be a two. He doesn't really have a, a very particularly well-defined game. And he's also someone who is just kind of an easy guy to keep around. Uh, he does a lot of things that they like as far as, you know, he's super quiet. He's a good locker room guy. He defends uh, as well as he can for his position and his size. Uh, but I do – I think – when you look at his contract and Darius Miller's contract, you kind of add those numbers up, uh, considering Miller's new contract, you start to see what David Griffin is kind of thinking entering the deadline, which is that if he can piece together some of those deals, uh, he can go get a player who's really good on a bad team that's looking to make a salary dump for some expiring contracts. And that would kind of be a perfect scenario. So I don't think he'll necessarily be moved now, but I definitely think he's probably – him and Miller are probably two really good candidates to get moved at the deadline. Well, yesterday out at Pelicans camp, we had the introduction of four different players, the three from the Lakers, Ball, Hart, and Ingram, and then also probably the most overlooked newcomer on the Pelicans, and that's Derek Favors. Uh, listen to this, everybody. Uh, this was yesterday uh, David Griffin talking about uh, <laughs> Favors and, and his role here in New Orleans. And that is what I have heard from everybody, Scott, over the last few weeks. And it seems like with the, the release of Christian Wood that they're very comfortable going in with the front court depth that they have and Derek Favors kind of leading that. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it, is, it is a really – you know, you saw that press conference yesterday, and I have a column that'll be um, on Dolan.com tonight or uh, in, in the paper tomorrow morning just about how it was very clear when you looked at all four of those guys that they're all kind of looking for a little bit of redemption for where they were and that their their reason they were on the trade block the way they were is because they don't quite – they never quite reached the level at which they considered themselves. Like, that's that they none of them ever reached the maximum potential – that I think they all felt they have. And very obvious with Ingram and Ball, guys who've been hurt and guys who kind of flamed out on, on bad Laker teams and never quite got there. Uh, Josh Hart, someone who's just trying to kind of be more of a leader of a guy who's off the bench. You know, you kind of that Marcus Smart style guy. And then you've got someone like Favors, who I think did so many of the right things. And you saw the way he was treated in Utah leaving that everybody was like falling over themselves to congratulate him on such a, a great jazz career and what a great guy he is and all that stuff. And the reason people do that is because he sacrificed himself. And I don't know how good he'll be in New Orleans. I think there's a lot of people who are just assuming because he took a lesser role that he's going to be really good when he gets to New Orleans. That's a stretch, but it's very clear he did sacrifice himself to allow Rudy Gobert to maximize himself because he is a lesser player than Rudy Gobert, and that's very obvious. Now, Brandon Ingram – Oh, sorry. Continue, Scott. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was just saying that the idea that he is now getting the opportunity to spread his wings a little bit and to really take on the full role of what a, a full starting center position means, that is completely accurate, and that is a fair way to assess it. And it's going to be really interesting to see just how much he can bring to yeah. the, the starting lineup. And I can't wait to see him alongside Zion Williamson. Brandon Ingram, a couple of years ago, was thought of by most across the NBA as a breakout star in the making. He had injury problems last year. Um, there are concerns about that. There's also concerns about his, his size. I always thought, Scott, that strength is one of the most – overrated aspects of an NBA player because you don't need necessarily strength to be a very, very good and all-star level player. But when we saw him in that press conference yesterday, he hasn't been able to work out really. I mean, he was as you know skinny as he ever has been. Are there still concerns there about Ingram? 
I mean, there are obviously there are concerns. I mean, the guys coming off of thrombosis or I don't know the exact medical term. It's a blood clot uh, in his in his uh, right arm, and it's it's a real concern. I mean, he basically said he hasn't picked up a basketball since March, and he said he's doing some stuff. But uh, I mean, that's a real thing that you got to recuperate from, and he's just a very slight guy. He's tall. It's it's so wild to have him and Zion Williamson on the floor at the same time. Like, could you imagine two more distinct body types? <laughs> right. Completely different. Like, they're the complete opposite now. They can both be effective. Uh, but, yeah, it just it does show that there are a lot of ways to get it done because Kevin Durant, you know, like, famously couldn't even lift the, the 250 at, you know, the uh, the combine when he was in there. He's made a pretty decent NBA career for himself. Ingram's going to have to live on the outside. He's going to shoot. He's going to, you know, get a handful of offensive rebounds and stuff like that. But he is not a guy who's going to live in the paint. He's not a guy that's going to knock heads with the Anthony Davises of the world. So it's it's not exactly critical that he be strong enough to do a lot of that. But it does, you know, it is important that he is able to handle himself out there. That he doesn't look like a 17-year-old, which, quite frankly, he looks right now the exact same way he looked at Duke. And I think that can be seen as a problem. And he's got a lot to prove because his contract's coming up at the end of the year. He's going to get paid one way or the other because there's just not a lot of free agents in this class coming up in the next, for next summer. And the Pelicans need to decide what he actually brings to them on a team led by Zion and Drew Holiday. So it's a really uh, – he's probably the guy I think is the biggest X factor for if they're actually good this year. He will be the biggest swing maker depending on what level of – he lives up to his potential in. It's been a wild, entertaining offseason. I think it's going to be a wild, entertaining season. And Scott Kushner will have it all for you at NOLA.com, the Times Picking Union, and the Advocate. Scott, always appreciate it, bud. Thanks, Seth. Talk to you soon, man. All right. So we'll take a break. When we come back, thanks if you're on hold for hanging on. I know some of you have been on hold for a very long time. I promise we'll get to you next on the last lap. Glad to be back talking Pelicans, talking LSU. We'll talk a little Saints and NFL in just a little bit. The NFL proposing an 18-game schedule. Second half of the hour, we'll discuss that. But to the phone lines, we go. Thanks for hanging on, Pierre and Gentilly. What's going on tonight? Hey, what's going on, Seth? Glad to hear you back, man. Hey, glad to hear your voice, Pierre. What's up? Um, I want to ask you, first, I got a question about training camp first. Yeah. And then I wanted to make a comment about LSU. Sure. Um, the, the, the week, uh, when, when the rookies come in, what happens within that week that, uh, is different from when the veterans report? No, it, uh, just extra practice. That's the best way to describe it. And for all of the rookies, I mean, it's basically training camp, but the CBA allows the rookies to come in a week early. We're going to have on Steve Court later this week. He'll be able to explain that a little more, but it's a little more technical. You're able to get guys um, with the coaches that they didn't see, perhaps. And I'm talking about not just the coaches, but guys who are kind of volunteer guys like Steve Court are going to get out there in training camp and, and help out a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's just it's basically the same thing. It's just an extra week. That's the best way for me to explain it. There's a lot more with that, and I'm not the best guy to ask, to be honest, about that, Pierre. All right. Oh, well, I was just wondering about that. And also with LSU, I've taken that, the attitude basically with uh, between LSU and Alabama that uh, I'm not going to believe LSU is going to beat Alabama <clears throat> until they actually beat Alabama. Yeah. And even when they beat Alabama, I still might not believe it. Yep. <laughs> Well, I, right, but I'm not going to believe it, and I'm not even going to allow myself to believe it until it actually happens either. That's exactly what I said in hour number one, Pierre. 
And to Pierre's point, again, the rookies, I'm talking about Pierre's point about the rookies, they actually report tomorrow. So we're just uh, oh, really hours away from that happening. All the rookies will report there. Uh, the rookies, of course, McCoy, Eric McCoy, is probably the one that people have their eyes on most. But let's chat about Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the fourth-round pick of safety, that he could get a lot of playing time and be kind of a, a big role player on that defense right away. Can't wait for that. Pierre, thank you for the call. Phone number is 504-260-1870. Our text line is 870-870. And our Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll, who will win the SEC this year? Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia, or somebody else? You can cast your vote there. Here is a text from the 985. Burrow will be one of the nation's most improved quarterbacks this year, and the Tigers will finish 11-1, losing to Bama. I'm not picking them to beat Bama until after they upset them. I like that. That's a good thought. I also agree. Joe Burrow, I think he's going to be improved. I think he's going to be much improved, but asking him and expecting him to be elite, step too far. Well, things might never be the same again in the NFL if the owners get their way trying to – change to an 18 game schedule we'll get to that in just a little bit but first also patiently holding on for a while jason and destran jason what's going on hey seth how you doing hey i'm good how you been hey i'm doing all right welcome back uh hope you enjoyed your vacation you you missed a little weather that we had you caught most of it though i'm assuming <laughs> yes i actually um, i said an hour run. i actually came back before the storm i cut my vacation short to come back before the storm because i had to take care of the house and, and the, the pets and stuff like that so well that's good i mean you were home and you know i'd rather it be nothing like you said earlier you'd rather it be nothing and you'd be back yep. and be like okay well this is all it was than to miss it and be devastation um, I wanted to talk to you about Joe Burrow. You and I have had our share of disagreements lately, but I am actually 100% in agreement with you on Joe Burrow. Watching him last year, I feel like his mechanics were really slow, and I feel like he doesn't have the velocity on the ball that he needs to have on his throws to be an effective SEC quarterback. He's a very good game manager. He's an intelligent quarterback. He's not going to lose you the game. But I don't think he's the kind of quarterback that LSU can put it on his shoulders throwing the ball and expect great results. Um, the comparison to Alabama and Georgia is a little skewed, number one, because LSU doesn't have the talent at wide receiver that those teams have, and that helps a lot. Secondly, I feel like I, I, I don't know how, good, how much better Joe Burrow is going to be because it takes so long to fix those kinds of mechanical issues. Tim Tebow had a similar issue trying to make it into the NFL, and he never could get it worked out. So I worry that we've seen the best of Joe Burrow, which is fine, but that's just a testament as to how bad LSU's quarterback play throwing the ball has been the last several years is because we see a guy like Joe Burrow, and we're like, oh, he's so much better. Yeah. Yeah, he's you've hit better, it, Jay. Not he's good. No, Jason, you've hit it. You've hit right there. The last thing that you just said, you hit the nail on the head. That when you see Joe Burrow compared to the other quarterbacks that have come through Baton Rouge, he looks like a flawless diamond to a lot of people. When in fact, he may be a little I don't know fool's gold. I think he's going to be fine. I also think Joe Burrow is going to be a capable, competent,
quarterback in the SEC, and I do think he will improve with Joe Brady in a little bit. I don't think it's going to be vastly different. I think everybody thinking this offense is going to be vastly different, just hasn't been paying attention to LSU in the last couple of decades. I don't think there's going to be some differences. They'll be throwing the ball downfield more. But Burrow doesn't have elite arm strength, which is often an overrated aspect. I told you st- uh, strength overrated in the NBA. I think arm strength can be overrated. Everybody's talking about Patrick Mahomes and his arm strength. Well, folks, Patrick Mahomes was a highly accurate quarterback. When you combine arm strength with accuracy, it's a deadly combo. Those sidearm throws, throws from Patrick Mahomes, uh, they were on the money. That's accuracy. If those sidearm throws, uh, throws were thrown hard but right at the defender, they would have been picked off. Drew Brees hasn't had the strongest arm ever in the league. But he's highly accurate. The problem with Joe Burrow was last year, he wasn't highly accurate. He was a 57.8% passer. That was 87th best in the country. His efficiency rating was 133. That was 70th best. Again, I'm not trying to take shots at Joe Burrow. I like Joe Burrow. I think LSU with Joe Burrow will be a playoff contender. I don't think they're going to be at Alabama, but I think they're going to contend. And maybe they beat Texas, get to 11-1, and and they get an invite to that playoff if their only loss is to Alabama. I get all that. I like that. I like Joe Burrow. But people thinking that he's going to be an elite college quarterback, I just disagree with, but I would be fine with me being put on blast at the end of the season when, again, Joe Burrow goes bananas and the LSU offense does as well. I'll be fine with that. Thanks for the call, Jason. One more, Steve in Mississippi. What's going on, Steve? Hey, Seth. I was calling to find out um, who you're thinking is going to be the starting lineup for the Pels this season. Um, it seems like we have a whole lot of depth, uh, but I'm just curious who you're thinking is going to be the starting five. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question, and I think the question can be answered pretty definitively, actually, which is odd considering all the depth they have. We just talked about with Scott Kushner. Your point guard's going to be Lonzo Ball. Your two or your shooting guard's going to be Drew Holiday. You're going to have Brandon Ingram at the three if he's healthy. This is assuming he's healthy. At the four is going to be Zion, and the center spot's going to be Derek Favors. The only position that is remotely a battle, if you want to describe it that way, is your small forward or the three spot. If Brandon Ingram is not healthy, you could have J.J. Redick undersized start there. They go a little small ball. You could have Etwan Moore if he's still around start. You could have Brandon Ingram. I think it's those three guys. Or even maybe Nick, um, Nick Melly, if he's healthy, although he was injured just a little bit ago. How about Rick and Algiers? Rick, welcome to the show. Uh, yeah, how you doing, Seth? Uh, I'm glad you made it back for the storm and took care of the pets. They're very hey. important. Hey, yeah, yes, they are, but, uh, Rick. I thought I thought they were more important than my five extra days of vacation, right? <laughs> yeah, well, look, yeah, I would go for that. Yeah. I'm in for that. There you go. But having said that, look, this time last year, Burrow had been with the team for a couple of months. By the season's end, less than half a year. He did an admirable job, 57 completion. I look at it kind of like a horse race. You know, you go to the, the track, and it's easy to bet the favorite, one, two, three. But you got to catch that horse that's going to be five, six to one, and that's Burrow. Look for an outstanding senior season from this young man because he comes from good stock. Ohio State ain't chop, uh, getting him in there for chop liver, you know. And I ha- anyway, man, once again, Seth, I'm so much glad to hear your voice back. Rick, you, sir. yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Rick. And, and I agree with what you said there. I think Joe Burrow's going to have a fine season. I'm not saying he won't at all. 
I think he's going to improve on that completion percentage. I think he'll have more touchdowns. I think the the rating will go up. I certainly think the yards per attempt will go up in this new offense. That's all they really need, LSU. They're so talented elsewhere on this roster. Might not have the talent that an Alabama or a Clemson does. But Mike Dettelier will tell you, and a lot of the LSU insiders will tell you, this is the best team that they've had since 2011 from top to bottom. Best roster that they've had since 2011. If they have a steady leader at the quarterback spot, watch out. This could be an 11-1 and team and a playoff contender. No doubt about it. So that NFL schedule proposal, again, the owners are proposing an 18-game schedule. But here's the catch. 18 games, two less preseason games, but the players will only be able to play 16 of those 18 games. Makes it a little interesting. Are you liking that? Are you not liking it? Most fans going bananas saying, oh, this is crazy. What are you doing to our beloved NFL? 504-260-1870. Our text line is 870-870. We will discuss that in depth coming back next on The Last Lap. Well, it's time to face the changes in the NFL. They've been coming. We've been talking about this for years. The NFL now officially proposing, oh, maybe unofficially proposing is the better way to actually phrase that from the owners, expanding the regular season schedule from 16 to 18 games. You'd have two less preseason games. But again, the catch is that players would only be able to play in 16 of those games. So I heard sports talk today and differing opinions from Bobby and Christian. Christian hates the idea. And Christian is in line with most fans that I've seen that are flipping out about this. What are you doing? Why are you trying to fix something that isn't broken? Bobby Hebert on the opposite side. He likes it. The proposal, and he likes that, well, players would only have to play 16 of the 18 games. I initially didn't like this. I initially thought, just like I said, uh, don't don't fix something that isn't broken. The NFL is the biggest sport in the United States for a reason. If you're trying to mess with that formula in a big way, and let's be honest, a 16 to 18 game flip is a pretty big change, and also not having your stars out there for two possible games is also pretty big. But I got to thinking that this is just the initial proposal. Like when you go into contract negotiations. When a player negotiates with the general manager and an agent is there as well, they send an initial offer, or maybe it's vice versa. Maybe the team sends an initial offer to the agent. And then what happens? You have a counteroffer and a proposal, and things change a little bit, and you meet in the middle somewhere. Well, this was just the initial offer by the NFL, the initial proposal by the NFL. There's going to be changes and tweaks to this. One of the changes that seems like it it just has to happen for this to actually work is an exemption for at least two positions kickers and punters have to be able to play all 18 games i mean period i'm sorry thomas morstead and will lutz and everybody else if you think that's unfair okay you get paid a little more but You're not putting your body through the vigors that other players are, and you're not going to force teams to carry an extra kicker and the punter just to kick and punt in two different games. You've got to have an exemption for kickers and punters, and this is in your long snapper too, those three. Now, the other one 
that I didn't think about until I saw an article by Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports, which now once I saw it, I said, okay, this makes a ton of sense. Quarterbacks being exempt from this rule as well. Do NFL fans really want to sit through a 10th of their schedule? And it's actually like a 12th, 12% of their schedule. Watching backup quarterbacks play? I don't think so. Now, quarterbacks get beaten up in, in the modern NFL. Lots of quarterback injuries. In fact, a couple of seasons ago, it was kind of a crisis in the NFL. I get that. But here's the problem. Teams are built around the quarterback position. Entire offenses are built around a single player's skill set at that position. There is not a position or a player more important in the sports world than quarterbacks in the NFL. Quarterbacks must be exempted to this. They just have to be. They'll get paid more. The salary cap will increase. Other players might not like that from a money-making perspective, but it's just the reality. The imbalance is already there. Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports also dispelled another main concern about this. That, well, all of a sudden you're going to have just a boatload of players who are used to playing every single game, all 16 games that now aren't. If I asked you to guess, and Logan, come in here, Logan, our producer, because you haven't seen this stat yet, uh, percentage-wise, if I asked you to guess percentage-wise how many NFL players played all 16 regular season games, what percent would you throw out there? Mm, I'd want to say uh, I want to say it'd be a high percentage, so probably around 70 to 80 percent. I think most people would think that. And before I saw the stat in my head, because I saw the headline to this, I was like, well, probably like 60 percent, 65 percent. Well, here's the exact number from last year. Only 31.4% of NFL players played an entire 16-game regular season. That's 677 players out of 2,150 in the NFL. Again, that's courtesy of Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports. And that wasn't just an aberration last year. It was 686 uh, of uh, uh I should say 31, 68.6 of players failed to appear in all 16 regular season games in 2018, which would mean, what, 31.4? 2018 and 2017, it was 31%. In 2016, it was 32.2%. So you're looking at low 30s. Less than a third of NFL players are playing all 16 regular season games anyways. So if you expand the season to 18 games, and if fans are worried about, well, man, all these players, they're going to be losing time. We're used to seeing all these players play 16 games. Well, no, actually, the standard is that most players don't. So things aren't going to change dramatically, especially if you give waivers in the rule, if you change the rule to allow quarterbacks, punters, kickers, and long snappers to play all 18 games. That would be my baseline for where this should start. I don't think NFL players should be playing 18 games a year. I don't. If the NFL was asking players blanket to increase their load by two games a year, 
that's a lot. In an NFL, it only has 16 games. You, you do the math here. It's two extra games a year. Well, in eight years, you're playing an extra season. That's 16 extra games in eight years. That's a lot. That would be like asking NBA players to play, you know, eight more games. So instead of uh, eight, uh, uh, well, 10 more games, it'd be asking like NFL players to go up to, you know, 92 games a year. Major League Baseball, they'd go up to 180 games a year, 185 games a year. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. I understand revenue is king in all sports and certainly in the NFL. I would not be for this proposal if it was, let's just play 18 regular season games, two less preseason games, maybe throw an extra buy in there. Injuries are already concerned in the NFL. Body wear and tear, not just from a football playing perspective, but from a life perspective. After your playing days are over, that's also a concern now that's been, to be honest, front and center with the concussion issue over the last decade or so. This is a topic that's not going anywhere. And now I'm really interested to see how the players' union counters this. What do you think? I want to know. I think most fans are, are dead set against this. But you tell me. Give me a call. 504-260-1870. That's the phone number. That's area code 504-260-1870. Our text line is 87870. We'll take a break. We're coming back. What do you think? I'm Seth Dunlap. This is The Last Lap on WWL. Somebody's questioning the math of Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports. No, the math is real. Last year, only 31% of players, 31.4% to be exact, of players on an NFL roster played all 16 games. Now, of course, that counts the entire 53-man roster. But with injuries, suspensions, coaches' decisions, etc., you know, that number's pretty low. And it has been right around there for the last decade. So thinking that you're going to see a ton or a majority of NFL players all of a sudden not be able to play every game than they were before, well, they weren't before. I think a waiver to the quarterback spot, kicker-punter spot, let them play 18 games and the rest – um, get that extra couple of games off, first of all. I think the players wouldn't act necessarily mind that. I don't know. What do you think, though? 504-260-1870. Let's go to Jared in Uptown. Jared, what do you think? Hey, so the thing that I'm most interested in is, you know, so you've got, uh, what, 60-something percent of players that aren't playing every game uh, what's the average number of games throughout a season that those players are playing? Um, and why, you know, if, they, if they're really concerned about player safety, uh-huh. why wouldn't they then say, all right, well, let's take that average number and make that the max number of games that anyone, except for these waiver players, you know, make that the limit that they can play during the season. So let's say the average game, you know, average player is actually playing in 10 games, then, yeah, let's bump it up to 18, but then limit the squads or, you know, limit uh, the number of games that a player can play to 10, and then they're less likely to actually get hurt and be out of commission because they're hurt. Yeah, I get your point, Jared, and you're kind of making the slippery slope argument, I think. At least uh, that's kind of what I take away from that, and I think that's, that's fair. Because all of a sudden, if you say, well, it's safer if players only play 16 games, well, it's going to be safer if they only play 10. So that is something that the league and the players' union is going to have to come together on. 
It's a great point. One more, Stephen Homo. Only about 30 seconds, Steve. I wanted to squeeze you in. What's up? Yeah, I just want to say I think they need to leave that 16-game thing alone and just lower the preseason to three so they have two games to look at everybody and play the last game in preseason and let the play, the first strength, second stringers play and get ready for the season. I think that's kind of what Sean Payton has said, too. He says two, three games would be plenty. Four is too much. I actually prefer what they did. I think it was 1991 or 92 when it was a 16-game schedule, but they had two buys. I would love to see in the next CBA, regardless of how many regular season games there are, they just implement two buys, one early in the season, one late in the season. One more hour of the show coming up. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.